Top Gun Maverick, Jackass Forever, and there is no game. This is staying in. About a week ago, I had a discussion with Alex about what flavour and type of crisp I would be. Oh, okay, so you're really kind of picking at uh, life's big mysteries here. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. kind of del- delving below the surface, like none of this philosophical nonsense. We're, ge- we're cutting right to the core of the matter. Yeah, we're getting to the heart of yeah. the matter. Scraping the barrel with yeah. pillow talk. Yeah, exactly. And she was basically saying that um, I'm ready salted, okay? I'm, I'm either everybody wants a bit of me because you know ready salted everybody wants a bit of ready salted or maybe uh perhaps uh perhaps like the thing that everybody has but nobody really wants to some degree um and obviously extremely mean but also quite accurate i thought my question to you is if you were a crisp what flavour would you be? And, and would you be a specific brand as well? Because we talked about it and I, they, she basically said I'd be Walkers or Lays if you're uh, outside of the UK. Dependable, solid. Good with a beer. Good with a beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, now I think Sam Turner, because he's basically already made of it, I think he would be salt and vinegar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is, uh, to, uh, as of recording, I think he's about 84% yeah. salt and vinegar. And he's getting up there. Yeah. So I was wondering, like, what would you be? What, what sort of? And and I extend this out to the the tapioca based snacks. I extend this out to you know your skips. I'm glad you said I that. Extend this out to the other sort of crisp adjacent mm. snacks like quavers and that kind of thing. I think it would be best if Dan, you decide what I am, and I decide what you are. Okay. Because I was I've been trying to think of myself, and I can't think of anything. So maybe the, the, someone else is, would offer a better option. Um. Hmm. I feel. Ooh. Hmm. I'm thinking something. Uh, not too sharp. So mm-hmm. not like a prawn cocktail or something like that. We don't want any of that. No, I'm taking. Uh, not like a, a pickled onion or anything like that. I don't want anything too no. sharp. It has to be something that's kind of warming. I feel. Um. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking somewhere along the lines of a roast chicken crisp. Yeah, you're right. You bang on, Dan. He's, yeah, he's a roast chicken crisp, isn't he? Which, you'll be happy to know, Chris, is my favourite flavour of crisps. Look at that. So, what about, well, Chris, what about Dan? What does, what's Dan? Right, now, I was also going to pick my favourite flavour of crisp. Go on. Which is the ready salted. But I wanted to have Dan as a Pringle, because Dan is very sociable. Yeah. And yeah. Once, he, once Dan pops, we all know this. I mean, you, say, you, I think this is just having you flashbacks to the, the New Year's party where I made you all eat uh, mint oh. chocolate Pringles. AKA, also known as the worst hangover of my life. In my defense, it wasn't because of the mint chocolate Pringles. Well, we can't rule that out, to be fair. They were the first little pebble of that avalanche. You only had one. It helped soak up the alcohol. Gentlemen, I've just sent you a website Ooh, okay. link on, on, on our WhatsApp for the podcast. I've sent you that link. Oh, yep, yeah, okay, hold on. It's a website called whatsmycoolsign.com. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Dan, yeah. you and I, we spoke about this yesterday briefly during the RPG. Um, we've both seen Top Gun Maverick. I saw it with Sam uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, oh, it was a hell of an evening. Cut a long story short, we had to, me and my partner had to sit in a bar till about two in the morning before we could actually leave the town in which we'd gone to see Top Gun Maverick because of a, a music gig that was bigger than the actual multi-story car park that could support them, which led to a massive backlog of people. But when I was in this bar, I just Googled it and the actual, f- the makers of the film have created this website called whatsmycoolsign.com. And it's like a little bit of an augmented reality thing where... You see yourself on the screen and it superimposes a pilot's helmet on your head. And I think we just need to know what everyone's call signs are, really. Wow. Well, I've just gone and found out. Um, and mine is Chief. Chief? Oh, picture Pete in his fighter jet on the side. Chief probably got the slightly inappropriate stereotypical 
image of like a headdress or maybe you just wear a headdress on your helmet maybe that's what that's your thing you're the chief yeah. Peter Chief Wellington. Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I am Chris Hound Derby. And I am uh, Daniel Diablo Frost. <laughs> <laughs> and our esteemed colleague Sam is Hard Shell. I mean, that makes sense. It does, doesn't it, really? Because he has got a hard shell. He does, but he's nice and soft and gooey inside. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, something about this doesn't really... Something about these little... I mean, first of all, something about these little silly little apps where you do all this sort of stuff is, is kind of twee and silly. And I, I kind of like it. And also what I love is when people... Uh, and obviously we'll put these pictures up online because um, <laughs> because basically Dan's gone to a lot of effort to make make himself not look like an arse. Um, and we have no shame. But I um, here's the thing. Here's the thing I've not really understood about Top Gun. Um, and I know there's a new movie out and all that sort of stuff. Um, but here's the thing about Top Gun. I watched the movie when I was young, the first one, and I don't really have much recollection of watching it back then. And then I remember watching it when I was a little bit older, maybe like 17, 18, that kind of thing, like staying up late because you're 17 and like you're watching crap movies on Channel 4 or whatever, or, or good movies, actually. Top Gun's a, Top Gun's a good movie. I'm not, I'm not going to go ahead and... Slate it. Yeah, I was, I was about to leap and pounce at you. Um, uh, but you know, the, the 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 biggest interaction I ever really had with the Top Gun brand was Top Gun Two, uh, the second mission for the NES, which was a flight sim game for the original Nintendo system, which, as you can probably imagine, was not particularly simulational because it was you know working with something that really couldn't do 3D or anything along those lines. Um, but I always remember it quite fondly because it it opened up a world of. It's not like the original Top Gun in that it, uh, the the movie it's based on because the sequel the sequel video game is much more larger than life. Like for example, you're trying to take down like a super aircraft basically that's got like eight jet engines and is way bigger than could ever really realistically fly, and then you're going up against. Um, just things that are a bit silly and a bit out there, basically, in, the, in in Top Gun 2. But I always really remember that fondly because it kind of had this odd line between a sort of naturalism, I would say, of like, here are jet planes, which isn't really like particularly... I'm not particularly big into like military history in that same way, or I'm interested in military history, but not in a sort of like... The, the planes and the engines and the specifics of the wars are more interested in like the social stuff that went on outside of that stuff. Like, that's what really I'm interested in. But I am, I am interested in military stuff where they take an idea, a bit like steampunk, they take an idea and they say, what if this but turned up in a different way? Like what, what if it goes in a dif- different direction? Now I'm going to assume, because I think you two have seen Top Gun Maverick, right? Like you two have seen yeah. it because I've not. Um, I'm going to assume that Top Gun Maverick does not take its cues from Top Gun 2, the second mission on the NES. Like, it's not a retelling of that story or anything along those lines. I would probably assume not. Okay. I, I think Dan's probably best place to talk about Top Gun Maverick because, unlike you two, I've I've not seen the original Top Gun. Have you not? No, it never appealed to me. A bit like you, Pete. I had It did not appeal in the slightest. It just looked like it was this ridiculous testosterone fueled macho thing to just recruit people to the Navy or the Air Force? I mean, to be fair, that is what it was. Oh, okay. They used to have, like, recruiters in the cinema when people came out trying to recruit oh, people word. for the Navy. Because, like, I was in, I, I'd, been, I'd seen trailers for it, I'd heard about it in the news, and you could probably hear my eyes roll. I was like, oh, my <sighs> word, this just sounds like some awful cash grab. And a little bit like everything everywhere all at once reviews started trickling in and they were really really good and i don't mean just good good like ah oh, four star film i'll catch this when it comes out online no 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 five star like mm. you need to see this on a big screen so I, I said to sam like are you gonna go and see this is oh chris no we're going <laughs> no um we're gonna go and see it like, okay cool and I, I just can't quite believe that I went to the cinema. I actually paid money to go and watch 
a sequel to a film I've never saw, I never saw, that came out, what, in the 80s? Yeah. It came out in 1986. Um, where I am essentially, and, you know, the best one in the world, I'm watching somebody who's nearly a pensioner fly a fighter jet. And it, it just works, doesn't it, Dan? Uh, yeah, uh, basically. So I have a kind of a more of a fondness, more of a closer relationship with the film than perhaps uh, you guys do. So I watched it. Obviously, it came out 86, uh, same year I was born. Obviously, didn't see it then. Um, but I think my, I think my <laughs> mom was a big fan of it. So I think it, it, was, it would have been on in the house. So I remember probably watching it, I'd probably be about eight or nine or something like that. And just really liking it. And just over like in those kind of like over a number of years, just a couple of years, I remember just really loving that film and it really kind of getting bed in, in terms of kind of that nostalgia kind of, kind of as the years then carried on, like that nostalgia stayed with me. So it was always a film that I loved. I mean, the, the music is a huge part of it. The music is incredible for that, for that first film. And the kind of the idea of a sequel has been mooted for, for, probably decade. It's been one of those infamous kind of films stuck in development hell. Um, right. And it was always never seemed like, a, especially kind of once a certain period of time has passed, it becomes mm, really, this is not, this is not really going to be good. And so when it ev- eventually kind of got announced um, that it was going to be coming out, I was like, I, oh God, they're going to just trample over this nostalgia that I have. It's going to be terrible. Um, and then the trailer came out and the first time I saw the trailer, and the trailer starts with kind of like the boom from the music. And it suddenly, like something clicked in my head and went, I have to see this film now. I have to see this film. I watched the trailer. I thought it looked terrible. I thought it looked awful. I thought, I have to see this now. And it was a, a very similar thing to going to see the first um, prequel of Star Wars and having watched mm. Star Wars um, as a child, um, wanting that sensation of like the opening of Star Wars where it kind of Star Wars appears on the screen is bam, 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 that yeah. just that I wanted that in a cinema because I'd never had that I'd watch on small screens and I wanted that and when I heard the music hit in the trailer I was like I, I need I want to see this in the cinema even though I even at that time I knew it wasn't going to be good it was going to be rubbish. it was going to be a rehash of the old thing and the more trailer I saw the more it just felt like a rehash and just literally repeating scenes from the original film it felt like a cash grab but then kind of, as Chris said, like, as you got closer and closer, murmurs started coming out that actually, actually, this is good. This is really good. And then the closer you got to it, actually, actually, this is really good. And so I, I, I'm very fortunate that the cinema close to me, um, I can actually get quite cheap tickets. Like the, 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 a bog standard ticket for the cinema is five pound. And like, that's, that's cheap for cinema tickets. That's cheap. Um, so the closest wow. cinema I can go to is that, but it's a, it's a regular cinema. And I thought to myself, I could go to see Top Gun at this regular cinema and spend £5. Or I could drive half an hour, spend £16 and watch on the biggest, loudest screen I could possibly find. So that's exactly what I did. I spent all that money because <laughs> I thought, if there's a film that needs... Because I could, I could see from the trailers... It was going to be visually impressive because you could see it was almost a Tom Cruise pet project because you could see mm. from the trailer, it was clear they were filming in actual fighter jets and knowing kind of the persona of Tom Cruise as we know him today, like he is kind of an adrenaline junkie and you know he wouldn't have made the film if they wouldn't have put him in a jet plane and filmed him in the jet plane. He just wouldn't have done it. So I thought I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to watch in this, this big screen. I actually had to miss the last podcast because I was going to see Top Gun. Like, because I could only see it on one night. I was like, I have to see it. I have to see it. I have to see it. And so I went to see it. And what's really funny about the film is the film is very aware that lots of people are there for nostalgia. And like the, the, I was, it was interesting. The kind of the demographic of people in the cinema, like was my parents' generation. Like it was heavily sweat in, in that generation. Like, you could see people who don't go to cinema very often. This was a night out for them. Like a group of friends had got together because they were going to all go and see Top Gun together. Like they had done 30 years ago. And so the film knows that it's it's leaning into nostalgia. And just like when I watched the first prequel of Star Wars and it starts with the Star Wars and it starts with the, the, the kind of the text crawl and it feels I'm in Star Wars again. 
Top Gun Maverick does the exact same thing and immediately says, "What you know? I know what you're here for. I know what you're here for. We know what here it is." And it just gives you the nostalgia, like full force. Like I'm going to drop you right back where you want to be. And it's like I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's kind of for someone who's a huge fan of that first film, it was incredible. I was giddy from the start of that film, and it and it it reminded me of something that um. The actor Michael Sheen said when he made um, Frost Nixon. So he made Frost Nixon. He played uh, David Frost. And David Frost was the interviewer who interviewed Richard Nixon. And he had a very um, distinctive kind of uh, way of speaking, a very distinctive accent and voice. And he said that what what they did was the first time he spoke in that film, he really lent into the voice, really went in and said, OK, then now that's out of the way. Now you've, we've done that, we've done the voice, now we'll just make it all a bit subtle and we'll just play it out as we want to play it out. You get that out of the way, and that's kind of what Top Gun Maverick does. It gets that nostalgia out of the way, and it says, okay, here you go, That's there's there's your nostalgia, now let's, let us tell our story. Um, and obviously nostalgia feeds all the way through it, but there's it's never as direct and as kind of clear as it is in those opening five minutes. And as I say, I was, I was absolutely giddy. But as a film kind of it it picks up all the threads that you want it to from kind of the previous film it very much feels like this is a top gun made by a post mission impossible tom cruise who now has the ability mm. to do everything he can do in mission impossible but i'm going to do that in top gun at the start i was a little bit worried because it felt a little bit like this is a new mission impossible film but then it kind of again it drops it down a little bit and says okay we've given you that now let we'll go back and make it a bit more slow and subtle and will be a bit more um kind of personal the story i think is very well told i think um it's a very it's not a difficult story so the the main crux of the story is you have a really dangerous mission that has to be done by these fighter pilots they bring in the best of the best but who is going to teach the best of the best it's going to be maverick because obviously um and it i mean it turns out that one of the best of the best recruits happens to be the son of Goose, who tragically, and I do mean tragically, uh, died in the first film and is probably, because I saw it at a young age, it was probably one of my first real kind of experiences of proper tragedy, and it is heartbreaking in that film. Uh, but he then has to obviously interact with Goose's son, and you have that dynamic going forward. And it's just a wonderful kind of thrill ride. And then you start to look at how they actually do some of those visuals in the jets. And it's quite clear you're watching people in jets. And I think the big thing for me, because I watched Top Gun relatively recently. And when you compare them, like you can obviously see that the original Top Gun is done on a green screen. But this film, obviously, you can see them in the jets. But more than anything else, I, you have a real understanding of how difficult it is to fly these jets. It's a, it, it's not yeah. it's not easy. Like the stuff that they are doing, even if you take out the kind of the G force, like it's work that they're doing. They are tight. They are kind of really kind of pushing themselves physically in the in these jets, and it is really kind of well well constructed those scenes. So you understand the reason they can do this is because they are so well trained. These aren't just people in the first film. They're laughing, they're joking, they're making quips, all this stuff. You don't get a lot of that in this one. You do get quips and you do get levity at times, but you also have a feeling that these guys have to concentrate on the work they are doing. Have, um, have you ever played, um, have you ever played like a, a, a proper flight simulation game? Like a proper one? I uh, know. The closest I've come is Star Wars Squadrons. <laughs> well, well, classic. Um, the um, there's there's one called there's one that a friend of mine from work plays, um, and um, uh, it's called DCS. And uh, DCS is 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 unbelievably realistic. Like like basically the the individual um, planes. Like to, to go into the level of detail, each plane that you purchase, you get the the, the main game for free, and then the actual model is you buy planes and that's what keeps them going each plane is like 60 quid right like it like they are meticulously modeled um and the things that you need to be able to do to even just to take off is 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 unbelievable like you know there's no press forward and it goes up like there's none of that 
it's all you know here are all of the switches and all of the dials that you need to be able to flight check yeah all the flight checks you need to go through all of that sort of stuff i mean it goes to the point that there's actually uh, he was telling me that in some of those jet planes that are featured in in movies like top gun those kinds of things where you have a, a, a wingman who's behind you um who generally their thing is to kind of be another pair of eyes. Yeah. Well, if you fly dangerously in DCS, they will just eject. Like th- like that that is the level of simulation that they're going to where you're the pair of eyes that are with you, the AI will just eject from the seat. But if if they if they're like you're doing something really stupid here. The reason I bring it up is it takes hours and hours and like full games length worth of time. Now, you know, another video game might take 10, 12 hours, whatever it is to get through it or 20 hours or whatever. It takes that kind of amount of time to get off the runway in terms of like being able to learn how to fly these vehicles properly. And then when you see videos online of people doing things like dogfighting, when you start to see what they're actually doing in the cockpit, it's... It's absurd. Mm. Like the stuff that they're doing is is not just that like Duke left, Duke right, pull up. Like it's not that. It's it's like here's all these switches that you need to be able to pull to be able to turn on and off a bunch of this stuff and then do that left, right, up, down, whatever it is. And then all of the G forces as you talk about, like Dan, like, you know, all of the additional sort of factors that you then have to take into account, like store, like stalling the engine out or like, you know, all of this mad stuff. And you realize then that when you see some of the, in movies like Top Gun, where you see dogfighting, you realize that like, oh my God, this is, this isn't, as you say, Dan, this isn't just regular human beings. This is like the best of the best of the best. Mm. Like, like you know, encounters in real, mili- you know, real air encounters uh, in real military situations is usually like four or five hours of get to the place, and then like twenty minutes. And usually, it's a rocket that gets you. It's you know, it's a it's a missile that's guided that gets you. It's not dogfighting in that same way. So to actually see people do dogfighting in even in something like a simulation like DCS is amazing. To see that stuff in a movie is absurd. And it is it is bonkers. And I was sat there thinking, why do I feel so tense? Yeah. Mm. And I realised it's because there's no green screen. Those actors are really going through it. And that is why I feel tense. It's like when you see Buster Keaton do all of his own stunts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think it was your partner, Pete, that told me that Cruz put together like a three-week training plan. Three-month. Three-month training plan for all the actors to kind of go through the drills of flying planes mm. because as you say Dan it is a simple plot and all those complicated things they are meted out to the audience in a really measured accessible manner and they're drip fed to you so you never feel like an idiot yeah and it does that thing that the Dan Busters does where it's okay I'll show you on a really swishy diagram or a map We've got to get from here to here and bomb that thing there. However, to be able to maneuver the planes there to do that is re- we're on a knife edge, essentially. So everything we're doing now is just a train for that little bit of that leg to do that. And you just go, yep, I get it. I get it. All we need to do is this. Brilliant. It's not about any kind of real, yeah. real geopolitics here. It's not trying to make a statement. It is literally about this nostalgia roller coaster. It's just about the mission and what, what the mission will take to complete. And even if you're a bit like me and like I'm I, I, I'm not a fan of Top Gun generally, it's one of those films everyone needs to watch because the craft that's there in terms of what they're doing with the camera and how they're filming this is exemplary. And even though I know I don't need to see this film ever again, I'm so glad I saw it because it is just an extraordinary spectacle. Mm. And it makes you realise how bombarded we are with lots of CGI, special effects and green screen to suddenly be confronted with the real. And I use real, obviously, in quotation marks still. Still the mm. magic of cinema is is quite astonishing, really. It's why something like Jurassic Park, the original, still stands up today above the others because you saw physical, real kind of props in that as opposed to it being CGI. The, the, the human brain kind of can can spot that and can identify what's real and what's not. And you you pick up on the small things. You pick up on the fact of when 
Tom Cruise and a closer 60-year-old Tom Cruise is hitting 5Gs and his face is being kind of morphed because of the Gs, your brain says, yes, I get that because that can't be fake. You can't fake that. No. I'm, yeah. I'm, I can see what I'm looking at and I can see that this is real. Um, and I, I, I laughed, I smiled, I came very close to crying. Well, that's a big thing for you, Dan, because despite being a can of ready side Pringles, I think you you can be a bit of a cold fish, can't you? I, I don't, I don't cry. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever really cried at a film. Uh, I mean, Sam, who isn't here today, cries at adverts. I mean, I can only imagine what he was would have been a blubbering wreck yeah. in Top Gun Maverick. I, I'm in that hinterland between the two of you, I think, really. But yeah, so I, yeah, I came close going, not probably where you think it was, because there is a very moving scene in there that I that I won't touch on. Was there just a bit? Was was there just a bit where you were like, those planes are so rad? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Or was it just a bomb at the beginning? I mean, that, I mean, that got me close <laughs> yeah. as well. Just that. Um, I want to take you back in time to early 2000s. So I would go around to my friend Chivers' house on a Saturday. I'd do his paper round with him because that was the thing. You'd have to do your paper round with Chivers, do his paper round, and then we'd either go into town or we'd go back to his place and watch some telly because he didn't have just four channels or five channels, I think it was at that point. He had more than that. He had like proper, he had MTV and things like that. He could have access to MTV. And I would go around there. And in addition to watching South Park, which at that point I couldn't watch at home, it just wasn't accessible to me. I don't think I could watch it. Maybe I could. I don't can't remember. The main joy for me was watching Jackass. Mm. And Jackass has been something that has been a love of mine ever since I first watched it because I'm not a big fan. If somebody if somebody was to fall over in the street, I wouldn't laugh. I wouldn't find that funny. I'd run right. over to them and help them. Yeah. I'm not interested. I don't find it funny when somebody is just going on their daily life, has an accident, hurts themselves. What does make me laugh are professionals, and again, sometimes I put quotation marks around that, who know that this is going to hurt. Oh, yeah. And egged on by their mates, do these kinds of stunts. That makes me laugh. Yeah, you'd skateboard all the way home uh, with your, um, you know, in the early 2000s, you skateboard all the way home, uh, go through the door, taking off your headphones where Linkin Park would be playing, or maybe Limp Biscuit if you were that way inclined. Uh, you'd maybe take off your Dickies hat. You'd still be thinking about that conversation you just had with your friends about who was going, you know, whether or not The Rock or Triple H was going to be winning uh, the. Uh, the Smackdown belt, whatever it is. Your wallet's on a chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you would, uh, and then, yeah, you would you would turn on Jackass and you would laugh at Bam Margera, you know, um, seriously hurting himself on a skateboard or, uh, you know, Johnny Knoxville. That was his name, wasn't it? Johnny Knoxville? Johnny Knoxville, yeah. yeah. Johnny Knoxville. You know, um sliding down a roof in a bathtub or you'd watch those i can't remember what they were called they were like welsh lads they were like homegrown welsh lads. i never watched them no what was that was called like dirty dirty sanchez thanks diablo there you go uh so uh you'd 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 watch you'd watch that and you know and then you'd go upstairs and play tony hawks four so yeah i mean like that 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 it seems like a bit of a dying breed that that thing mostly because probably half of them are dying because of all the stunts but also because it feels like we've kind of moved on from yeah that. It, well it's interesting because like a bit like top gun actually you know something you liked yeah. when i was like i was 16 when the first jackass movie came out and i'm not saying like i'm completely mature now but i'm 36 now it's like 20 years ago when the first jackass movie came out i'm an academic <laughs> Am I going to find Jackass funny anymore? Answer, yes, I am. That never gets (laughs) not funny for me, really. And and it's really interesting going back to it now with the new film Jackass Forever, which dropped this year, is that nothing's lost. Nostalgia is that very powerful, potent thing. But what I think is that 
The trapping of nostalgia is that it's a yearning for a past that never existed. That's the thing. That's why it was originally seen as a disease. Um, but actually going back and looking at those things as old, you, you see something new in them now. You know, when I was younger, I watched it because of the ridiculous stunts. And, you know, I remember being at school and people going, oh, Steve-O, Steve-O's the worst. He's got his own stuff, you know, stuff that didn't make the film because it was so hardcore. You have to watch Steve-O's own film. And, but now when I'm watching Steve-O, who is now 47, and I see them actually, what I love about Jackass is the bond between all of them, the friendship. Yeah. And you know that even though they are in pain. They are living for that moment where their friends are laughing and cheering at them because they know they'll get the chance to do that to them. And it's a strange act of cognitive dissonance, really, where what you you don't re- what what that that period of time that has elapsed between Jackass Free or Three D ten years ago and this one is those friendships are still there to some extent. I mean, it's been pretty rocky. Um, sadly, in the interim between Jackass Three D. And this film, Ryan Dunn passed away. And Bam Margera, who was originally in Jackass Forever, the new one, and was sacked from the production. Oof. So it has been a bit rocky. But the moment you hear see, hear that... Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. This is... Welcome to Jackass. You're back. And it's like, yes, they're a bit, you know... A grey around the temples. Knoxville's fifty-one now, and Dave England's fifty-two, but they're still doing gnarly stuff. And that kind of slogan for Jackass, which you always hear in the end credits, the music: "If you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough." Just Mm. is still there tenfold, really. And it is absolutely magnificent. This film, ninety minutes of just. All the stuff that Knoxville had been penciling away and some of them been thinking about for the last 10 years. Oh, if we do it again, I'd love to do this stunt. I have an idea for a stunt. I'll write it down to just do them. Is great. I watched a little bit of Jackass back in the day. I've never watched any of the films. Um, I, I, said I would have seen a couple of stunts, like, but that would have just been in passing. It never interested me. I've, it's never been something that... I've kind of particularly engaged with. So is this just a kind of an extended episode? Is it just a two hour of various stunts? And obviously I'm not yeah. saying, is there a narrative uh, kind of through line, but is, is, does it have a structure outside of just a group of stunts? No, it's a group of stunts, but the through line is that bond between all of them. And that, that's all it is. That's the glue that holds them together. And that's it. It's just a series of stunts. You see Johnny Knoxville get shot out of a cannon. You see them, the group of them dressed as a marching band, just casually stepping onto a treadmill and getting flown into, thrown into a brick wall. You see Wee Man, Preston, and the new guy, uh, Zach Holmes, do a triple wedgie, like suspended by their underpants in midair. And I can't explain it. It's just hilarious. And Chris Pontius is the usual deadpan kind of person. It's a bit like the Beatles. You start to notice certain pairings. Dave England and Danger Aaron, who does the cup test where he tests, a, you know, a cup, you know, like, I don't know if any of you play cricket much. Dan, you play cricket, you know, the cricket box. I have played cricket. Pete, you've played cricket, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the box. So Danger Aaron does, he tests out a cup. One of them is where he's lying on a bowling alley and a lady throws a bowling ball down it at, his, at the cup. Another one is where um, a record... Uh, winning um, softball pitcher. She pitches this hard softball straight at it. And the last one is he's lying on his back and Dave England on a pogo stick <laughs> pogos onto it. As, as someone who has actually been hit in that space where the cup should be and unfortunately was not at the time, uh, I can confirm those that, that would be very, very painful. Yes. And like... I mean, I can describe the stunts. There's a brilliant stunt, which is probably the most legendary one of the film called Silence to the Lambs, where they think they're coming in to see someone else do a stunt with a snake. What actually happens is in pairs, they're they're locked in a room. The lights go out and everyone else is surrounding them wearing night vision goggles. 
and they're just messing with them. Like Danger Aaron is just really spooked. He can't see anything. And then somebody gets two bin lids either side of his head and just <laughs> clangs it. And it, it, it's really silly. It's irreverent. But I just love it. I just absolutely love it. And I, I just love those kinds of setups they do for gigs. It's not just Johnny Knoxville getting shot out of a cannon. They make it about the myth of Icarus, for example. Sure. So there, there is, I'm not trying to overly intellectualize it, you know, in the sense that actually you cannot just, you know, you, you can only enjoy it if you look at it that way. But what I'm saying is that, you know, there's, there's other stuff here. There's interesting layers here. I will say there's probably about 80% more penises in this than there has been in any of the previous Jackass films. It's, it's a very versatile organ. <laughs> it's, it is honestly... I bought it on Amazon Prime Video because I know I'll just rewatch it. And some of them are on Netflix. I know the 2.5 and 3.5 and the original are on Netflix at the moment. But I just love it. And the new people they've got are absolutely hilarious. Uh, Sean Poopy's McInerney, Zach Holmes, Jasper Dolphin and his dad, Dark Shark, um, <laughs> Eric Manica. These don't sound, no, these don't sound real. They don't, these Dark don't Shark's sound- extraordinary. So Dark Shark is an ex-prisoner who's from the hood, essentially. It's the quote Jasper here. And he says he doesn't, he's got a petri, he's petrified of birds and he's petrified of heights. And of course they capitalize on that fact. I mean, the new people coming in, it's wonderful because they interview them and says, yeah, I grew up with these people. I used to watch them. I was that generation that watched them. Now I am part of the cast. And they just blend in beautifully. Um, It's absolutely wonderful. It's almost like the baton has been handed across here. And it's just an utter delight. And it does that thing that Top Gun Maverick does for me personally. It's giving me what I want from the 2000s, but it's also giving me um, a new perspective on that nostalgia. Do you know, one of of the things that I've been noticing recently is that... uh, I've been playing a lot more mobile games recently, and there's nothing that I particularly want to talk about um, at the moment because there's, you know, there's just a bunch of stuff. You know, still playing Hot Lap League, still playing Everdale, still playing. Going to start up another game of Ticket to Ride. Going to, you know, I'd like to play a bit more of Eight Minute Empire because we, you know, we we're playing that. That was really good as well. I've downloaded Diablo Immortal that came out recently. I can't wait to give that a go. The new Hero Realms is out, so like that's the physical version Ooh. of of um, the fantasy version of Star Realms. I'm really looking forward to playing that. Do you do you kind of, when you're playing or choosing your mobile games, is there a certain genre of game that you kind of always move towards or kind of, because obviously the, the, the longer kind of we go along with mobile games, the more and more expansive the, the genre has become as, as the technology improves. Like the games that we can get now, we just, you just were unthinkable kind of years ago. There generally isn't a kind of genre that I go for. Like, obviously, back in back in the day, um, I would just have to try and play everything because that was the job. But so I didn't really ever develop a, like a specific genre that I was really into. But I will say this: I've always, I've always found that the games that last longest on my phone are the ones that I'm able to either dip in and out of. So Everdale, for example, where I when I dip in and out of them, I feel like I'm doing, I feel like I'm progressing even if that progress is slow, or games that are more to do with things like how easy is it for me to back out of it and not and just immediately turn it off, right? Like, so for example, with something like Hot Lap League, I can get to the point where I'm like, let me just finish this this course, and it's going to take me 20 seconds to figure out whether or not I've crashed or not, right? Like, to, to get to the thing and then crash, and then be like, oh, never mind that. Um, so... I don't tend to look for genre stuff. The only times that that's ever gone to a point where it's like larger periods of time is like some point and click adventures where I just sit down and it's more more about being cozy, like having the device close to me. Okay. So like pl- playing on a tablet. But but other than that, no, there's nothing that I particularly go for other than that kind of ease of use. Okay, interesting. Because I was going to recommend a game because I've been playing um, a game called, it's actually called There Is No Game. Um, it's a right. it's a game. Well, I thought you said there's a game, Dan. but there is no game. Should we do this? Let's not. Let's not. All because right. tell you what, the game does it a lot. 
okay. in a really good way. Um, so this game called uh, There Is No Game, I think the full title is There Is No Game Wrong Dimension um, okay. by uh, Draw Me a Pixel. And the, the, the joy of this game is the discovery of it. And it's one thing I love, and it's a, when video games do this, like it's fantastic when they kind of break the fourth wall and become meta and do different things i absolutely love it and if they can do it effectively it's fantastic and to mm. give you a to give you a sousson of of how this game does that like when the game starts it starts with kind of like a loading screen and you're waiting for it to load and you're waiting for it to kind of start the game nothing really happens and it feels like it might have crashed and you're a little bit disappointed. And you've got your mobile phone and you're looking at it and you think, oh, come on. And you start tapping it. And as you tap the screen, like, it's as if you've tapped a piece of glass. And like something shakes mm. a little bit on the screen. Like, oh. And you tap it again and something sh- shudders a little bit. And then the more you tap it, like something falls on the screen. And suddenly you're into the game because it's been waiting for you to interact with it. And then suddenly you hear a voice saying, uh, there is no game. You can turn this off now. Don't, don't, don't play anymore. It's, it's fine. Um, and then it just it constantly starts to develop these little puzzles built around kind of user interface and do, it does different things. And like there's one time where kind of it plays loads it like you're playing music and the game, the guy doesn't want the voice doesn't want you to play music. So like a, you see a cursor come onto the screen and it clicks the mute button and you press it off again. And then the curse comes again and it press the mute button and actually what you need to do I'm going to give this one away what you need to do is when the cursor comes in you have to grab the cursor and now you've got a, hmm. now you've got a little kind of arrow a little point which you can use on something else and then you can maybe right. pop something on another screen and it's it's those little things that actually you're constantly trying to think out okay how can the game do something here what what is it giving me and what can i kind of play around with and all the while you're hearing this kind of voice talk to you and kind of criticize you and constantly tell you what are you doing there is no game you're doing you're you're just doing nonsense i don't know why you continue to play this because there is no game and it just constantly goes mm. on and that's kind of the first it, it's kind of a, a game broken down into chapters and that's kind of the first chapter and as the game goes on it moves into different genres of game which is why i kind of asked around kind of what genre you're drawn to because it moves between different genres of game then and you actually it kind of you move into one which kind of looks like like papers please um and there's certain ones in different kind of fonts and different logos and certain ones look a bit like prince of persia like different screens and then and then it absolutely drops you in like a a monkey island and you're there and you then have to play a bit of a point and click adventure and it does all this different stuff and you can twist the world around and you can look behind the scenes and do all these different things it's really interesting and then once it does that it takes you out again and it drops you into like a stardew valley type world and these are all kind of fantastic kind of um representations of these world and there's, there's one amazing bit after the stardew valley world that i won't tell you but it's just fantastic. And I think, Pete, you mm. yourself would just love it, as a, especially as a games designer kind of who works mm. in kind of games development. Some of the kind of yeah. the commentary it makes on video games is really fun and really interesting. And it does all this different stuff. And all the while, you've got this guy talking to you, telling you, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? I've told you there's nothing to do here. There is no game. I don't play many mobile games. Most of the mobile games I play are kind of like your Everdales, kind of like your Hot Lap. Stuff where yeah, you dro- yeah. you drop in and you do something and then you go away again. Like when I got this, I played it solidly for a few days and I finished it. Like because I, I I had it on my iPad and because you can have it on iPad or iPhone, it works perfectly on both of them. And I just wanted to sit there. I put my headphones in, like r- rather than like rather than watch something on TV or watch film or play kind of PlayStation. That I found myself just sitting there trying to work out. And what's weird is you're not working out like a, a point and click where okay, well I need this. I need to go and yeah. find the cup so I can fill it with water and then I can give it to the horse and then he's happy. Like, that's simple. You need to kind of think, okay, actually, I need to turn this whole scene around and actually look backstage because actually this isn't an actual world. This is like a theatre stage. I need to look backstage and move some lights, which now shows me something on the other side and flip it back round again. And you're, you're 
constantly having to pick at the world and understand kind of games as well. You're not just playing mm. a game, you're understanding, okay, well, this is, I can use this. I can use the health bar might be something. So there might be a time when I can actually use that health bar or there's, a, there's an icon mm. on the screen that at some point I can pick it up and use it for something else. Like everything you see can be used, not always at, at all the time. You can't always pick up everything but there'll be times where if you know if something on there looks a little bit strange you think that's absolutely going to be something i do think a lot about about games in general about what i delight in in games now and there is a and again maybe i'm a bit of a cynic but i've been i've been playing games since i was like three and i am quite a bit older than that now obviously and i i must admit now when I, because obviously we've got big events coming up in the near future, like, um, well, not E3, but because that's coming next year, apparently. But, you know, we've got your, your games, you know, it's video game Christmas is coming up, basically. It's this, it's the summer period of time where all the big games get announced, right? So all the big companies get involved in it. Devolver, Limited Run have started doing one, which gets me really, really excited. Um, uh, like, you know, Microsoft and Sony, like they'll do their own press events and all that sort of stuff. So Days of Play, for example, for Sony. And one of the things that I, I find that I'm a bit jaded on now, because I've been in like this as a hobby, you know, for, for this amount of time, 30 plus years, is that whenever I see those trailers now, I'm always, I'm very, very rarely like looking at something and going, I, I couldn't possibly imagine what that must be like to play. Like I look at stuff now and I'm just like, cool, yeah, action, third person action adventure. I imagine you'll do a bunch of Assassin's Creed-esque, run up the tower, put the flag down, and then you see more of the map, right? Like it's very... And that isn't to say I won't go and play those games, but those games aren't as surprising and they don't delight in their surprise because they're they're you know they're big, they're 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 flashy and they're they're risky to take really, really big um creative risks on. And I have to admit that whenever I see something that is genuinely different, that to me is the bit in video games I get excited about now. Like, even if that's, like, a genuinely different thing in an established IP. So, like, seeing, again, uh, not to harp on about it, but, like, the trailer for Gran Turismo 7, for example, you look at that, and it's like, this is a photo. Like, I cannot, I cannot, there are bits in that game where you cannot distinguish between reality and and and, and digital uh, kind of representation on the screen without a shadow. So that's like, wow, that's amazing. And then you see, like, Unreal Engine 5 tech demos, and you're like, that's incredible. Like, how have you managed to get all of this working? And, like, you know, that's really exciting as well. And then when you see, like, these smaller indie games that are trying something that you've never seen before, like an unpack uh, unpacking, for example, where yeah. you're like, yeah. that is a brand new idea, right? Like, this one mechanic is takes inspiration from other things, still relatively straightforward, but I've never played a game like this. And that novelty I'm finding increasingly more and more and more important. There are some very good resource management roguelite RPGs, right? There are some very good ones. In fact, there's loads of them at the moment out of the, uh, out in the moment. But I don't get very excited by any of them because I'm like, yeah, I've, I've played games like that. Like, I, I know what they are, right? Like, I look at something like Green Hell and it's very, very good, but I'm just like, eh, I, I, I don't care. Like, I've played a survival game. I know what this is going to feel like. Whereas something like There Is No Game and, you know, other games of its ilk, things like... Um, Stanley Parable. Stanley Parable, Eternal Darkness from back in the don't day. Don't Shoot the Puppy. Absolutely. Uh, what was the other one? Um... Super liminal. Oh yeah. Like like things like that. Those kinds of games that subvert your expectations, those are the things now that I, I seem to get more and more and more excited about. Definitely. And I think for me, I know you can get this game on the Switch, but I think there's something quite charming and effective about having it on a mobile device. Yeah. Because it gives the game a sense of power and weight. I was like, oh my word, it's making me second guess. Perhaps it's making me second guess how I play games or use devices. And the question I wanted to ask Dan, because I've not played this game, I'm always interested when uh, in our uh, our capacity as human beings to flip-flop between different games, between a game on a console, a game on a mobile or tablet or portable gaming console, whatever. 
when you've played this game and then you go and play something else or you're just messing around in your your mobile phone say for example how easy is it to shake that mentality of second guessing what the game is asking you to do um i i think because i think because with this game it is it is wrapped up in kind of a, a package of the the obviously the ongoing voice talking to you um what basically walking you through the game not necessarily saying do this do this do this but kind of going against you you're kind of constantly aware of the game that you're involved in and once you understand kind of the rules of the game in the fact that there are no rules and you can do whatever you want suddenly that kind of creates that barrier so when you stop playing kind of you are leaving all that behind i don't think it's it's not trying for realism it's not trying to mimic your phone and then kind of okay make you do make you do other stuff it is okay it's using the idea of video games and what they can do and then showing you it in an interesting way like some of the stuff there's so many like pete like you would probably get so many more of the references than i would like there's a whole like hmm. sequence where the game flips be- shows you kind of the title screen and then flips between different languages and different play game styles and different as i said like papers please i think is like it's the exact design of that, but done with there is no game type thing. So there's probably loads of references that you would get that I just wouldn't get because I'm I'm I don't have that that level of knowledge. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a devil's advocate here. Um, I'm gonna be the cynical voice here. Lay it on me. Got What's the difference, Dan, between you playing this game and me playing my own mobile game, but suddenly an app crops up and I have to look be creative and look where the X is or what the symbol for that is so I can hmm. skip this ad. What's the difference between what you're describing and trying to game the game that's purported to be not a game and me trying to run around, try and f- creatively understand the mechanics of this ad and how I skip it, say, for example? Well, without giving away kind of spoilers of it, like parts of the game involve ads popping up. Like, right. like it, it's... it's it, like it's interesting that you use that example because like ads do come up in the game and like you that's that becomes part of the game and you have to manage that and deal with that as it as it comes up and that there might be something in there that you then have to use for something so it it, it incorporates these elements into it so it's not a simple kind of pop up so to speak it would pop up and then you would use that and incorporate it into the game also those ads people and they've been doing this since long before mobile do you remember do you remember back in the day where you'd you'd be on you know internet explorer 4 or wherever it was and like you'd get the you get the flashing pop-up screen or the shaking screen or you know those kinds of things where you get a pop-up ad and it would shake the box yeah yeah. oh yeah like um that kind of um creative approach to selling ad to essentially showing ads um is explicitly done to make you engage with the ad in some way so those garbage mobile ads that come up where and i don't hate all mobile ads not far from it but those ones where it's like the x is in the bottom right hand corner because you were expecting it to come up in the top right hand corner because that's where you're meant to put it because that's good ui design the reason they're putting it down there is obviously because they they've outsmarted you because you have been taught time and time again to to look at the thing look at the world in a certain way and to do that so it's actually i it sounds to me like it sounds to me like there is no difference in that way it's just that the it's you're you're still using a lot of the same faculties how do i outthink the developer of this yeah but the but the place where it comes from is not this cynical well, we'll get our CTR percentage rates up if we make people accidentally click on the ad and that'll make our ads people really happy because, you know, whatever. Um, it doesn't come from that cynical place. It comes from a place of of when you figure it out, you feel smart and happy that you're smart. Whereas when you figure out an ad, you feel smart and sod those people who tried to make you do a thing that you didn't want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. The overriding kind of feeling I had constantly through the game is just a sense of, oh, that's clever. 
That's that's yeah. that's interesting. That's yeah. clever. It's oh, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. picked up this trope of video games and it's subverted it in a way that I've. It's taken me a while to figure out how to how to kind of to see what you're doing, but now I see it. That's clever. I like that. I'm gonna. I will now take that knowledge further into the game, and now if a cursor appears on screen, I will be able to go. I know that I can go and pick it up or and do something. If I see a balloon. Maybe I'd, maybe there's a cursor somewhere that I can take that point and go and pop the balloon with it. It's that kind of interconnected um, that is it's just a lovely... And when you have that sense of... Because it's a game that wants you to like it and you want to like it as well. It's constantly with that sense of humour. So when it does these things, you kind of, you're on board with it. You're not, as you say, it doesn't feel in any way cynical. It just, it feels joyful because you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm along for this fun ride that you're taking me on. But... There is no game, so sorry. Um, I just wanted to give you an update, uh, Dan. You weren't here for the recording last time. Um, we talked about the very beginning of the last episode of my mum's on WhatsApp being like having my own private Reddit list, and P and Sam were like, "Oh, we should create a WhatsApp group, the four of us, with your mum," and I did do that. And you're welcome to join it, Dan. I didn't want to just, you know, grab you and chuck you into this room without any context whatsoever. And the, we have the WhatsApp group, r slash Chris's mum. And I kicked off proceedings for an opening message. Uh, Pete and Sam, let me introduce you and reintroduce you, uh, Sam's already met my mum, to one of the most extraordinary and wonderful human beings on the planet, my mother. My mum responds, hilarious, too kind, bless you. Pete responds. <laughs> oh, God. So fantastic to meet you, Chris's mother. A genuine honour. However, it's really upsetting that this momentous occasion happens when I'm checking my phone on the bog. <laughs> ever, ever the wordsmith, eh, Pete? <laughs> well, look, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. Um, because, um, uh, and this feels like a natural segue into uh, the uh, our outro. We should probably just do the outro here. <laughs> yeah. um, Break that fourth wall. If you've, if listeners, if you've got any questions that you'd like to put to Chris's mother, <laughs> please email us stayinginpod at gmail dot com, and we'll get we'll keep them nice. We'll we'll. We'll put the nice questions. Yeah, to, they will be filtered. They're not going straight through. We'll be, they'll be filtered. Yeah. Um, and um, we'll ask we'll ask we'll ask some questions. We'll get some answers for you. Um, yeah, the answers for, will also be filtered. The answers will also yeah yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah, stayinginpod at gmail dot com. Send us some questions for Chris's mum, and uh, we'll get them answered for you. So in addition to asking my mum a question um, via email, you can also message us via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Am I forgetting any at all? Um, any other? Carry a pigeon. Do we still have a fax number? We yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I'll get it on my pager. Um, it, yeah. We do all of those things. Um, you can send us. Do we, do we have a PO box? I think we should we get a PO box. I don't know. I've never known what, sh- what is a PO box. A PO box is a uh, a, a, a PO box is a is literally like a, a post office box that you get parcels sent to instead of a home address. Let's get one of them. And then you go and pick those items up from a P.O. box. Yeah, so if you want to send so, us any presents, uh, we're going to have a we P.O. Don't have box. Any, we don't have a P.O. box. Well, we can get one, surely. Oh, okay, right. Um, so we, we, if you want to send us some presents, uh, send us an email. Send <laughs> <laughs> at gmail.com and I'll, I'll give you Dan's address. Um, and um, what else What else do we beg for usually? Um uh, leave us a nice review and rating but most of all actually you know what most of all actually other than having a lovely time send us money other <laughs> no other than having a lovely time staying safe and and hanging out and and, and living and enjoying life um uh tell a friend about the podcast that's genuinely the best way to, for us to have more pals to listen to this nonsense basically so um tell a friend basically send them send them a link to Maybe this episode was this a good one? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe don't it know. was. We'll find have, out. Have a listen to this first. You've got this far. Like you got the yeah. yeah. If you've laughed, how three times should we say? 
three times. I think that's a good yeah. barometer that it's a good episode. So if, yeah. if you've yeah, laughed exactly. three times, then just get, take your phone, scroll through and pick a person at random and then yeah. call that person up. Because it's always nice to call someone. Um, and just A friend, tell, yeah. a family, yeah. a work colleague. And I want to just do a particular shout out to one of our followers on Twitter at my tainted brain, the tainted Brian, um, just to say thanks for just continuing to like everything we do and just be part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, we know, we know We really do appreciate it. And I know yeah. there are others of you out there, but I just wanted to just put a little spotlight on them really just spotlight. say a big, a big thank you to them for sticking with us. It's really nice to, it's really, it's genuinely a bit weird when we get, when we get people who listen to this full stop because yeah, I basically <laughs> I just, I just find it, I find it really odd. So the fact that like people then take time out of their very busy days to say how much they're enjoying things or, or, you know, sharing it with pals, it's genuinely a bit overwhelming. So thank you very much for doing all that sort of stuff. This is the weirdest outro we've ever done. I like done. it though. Like, and the longest. I And the longest. I quite like it. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll do more of these like this. But for now, we'll just say goodbye. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>